Okay, here's our one-minute message today. We are going to talk about a, a word that is cast around a lot, the word holy. What does it mean? And we talk about holiness and holy people and so on. What does that actually mean? The word holy means other than, separated from, different from. Be holy for I am holy, meaning God is completely separated from the way the world thinks and works. He has no evil in him at all, no sin and we are called to be holy. We'll never be as holy as God. It's where you get the word sanctified or saint from. We're in the world, but not of the world. So a person that we refer to as a holy person is somebody that is, that is set apart uh, for the purposes of God. And all of us should be holy people. That's what the word means. The word simply means to be other than. So now you know what holy means. Genesis 41, chapter 41 um, I know the last couple of weeks, Evan spoke, and then we had Rob Milliken last week. Evan said he wanted to land the plane because he was four years old when we started Genesis. Um, I just want you to know that today is a milestone. Today is the 50th message we've given on Genesis. All right, 50, and I'm still alive. Okay. <laughs> okay. Quick review. Here we are. Particularly if you happen to be visiting today, you might not consider yourself a follower of Christ or a believer, but I do want to kind of bring you up to speed as where we are. Joseph in the Old Testament, um, one of 12 of Jacob's sons, has um, been shown a lot of favoritism by his father, a coat of many colors, and he was loved by his father more than the other brothers, and this caused all kinds of tension with his brothers and hatred and all types of things begin to happen. And in Joseph's life, and he ends up being thrown into prison. While he's in prison, uh, he interprets some dreams of a butler and a baker, and the butler uh, is able to, to get out, and, the, bake, and the, uh, uh, the baker is hung. And at any rate, Joseph has several sets of, of, of dreams in, in this narrative that we're looking at. But the last words of chapter 40, after Joseph has said to the butler, you're going to get out. Remember me when you talk to Pharaoh. Please, I've been in here a long time. Please remember me. The last words are, he forgot him. And we'll see how important that is a little bit later on. He forgot him. And then this next starts off with two years have gone by. So, but in Joseph's life, the one of the things that we see is a man that's just been jerked around all over the place. He's at one day is up, the next day is down, all kinds of hardships. And you can do something with your hardships. You can either say, life is tough. God is not apparently going to save me from my difficulties. Therefore, there is no God. You reject God. Or you say, I'm, I'm going to hang on to God. I believe it, but I'm just going to kind of sulk in my misery. And there's some hard things, no question in life. Or you can choose to serve. Joseph, in the midst of all of his hardship, continued to serve. He continued to serve. And we see the importance of that when you give your life away to somebody else, and he did that many times to many people. So, with that in mind, this is a very long chapter. We are not going to read every single verse, and the reason we won't is because at the very beginning, we read about a dream that Pharaoh has. Joseph is now going to be leaving prison, and he's going to stand before Pharaoh, and there's a dream that Pharaoh has. Moses, the writer of, of Genesis, gives you that dream. Then later on, that dream is, is stated again by Pharaoh to Joseph. So we don't have to read it twice, but the gist of the matter is this. 
that there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. And these two dreams point that out. So let's read the first 16 verses. We'll pray and then we'll dive in. Genesis chapter 41. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those of the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. The Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again, and he had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on, the, on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted and then scor were scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. Verse 8. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dream, but no one could interpret it for him. No one gets it. Nobody understands. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remembered of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream, and the thing turned out exactly as the interpretation, as, the, as he interpreted it. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He sent quickly, brought him out of the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Let's pray. I can't do it. None of us can. But God. But God. Father, I pray that we would see things in this text that we have never seen in our lives before that we would be moved, challenged, and changed. And should there be one here today that does not know you, that today they would see the great truth of the gospel in this text. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the big picture. You have two dreams here, where they're given twice. You have these fat, you know, husky cows coming out and these scrawny cows eating them up. And then you have the... The, the grain, and you have the healthy stalks and the others that are eating them up. And they represent seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Okay, that's, that's the dream. But there are sets of twos of dreams. Uh, Joseph has a dream at the very beginning in chapter 37 that his brothers bow down to him. Then he has a second dream that his parents bow down. Then he goes into prison, and while he's in prison, he interprets the dream of a butler and the dream of a baker. Now he gets out, and there are two sets of dreams. Two sets. And we're going to find out a little bit later on why this is so important 
that they're given in twos. It actually states why it's so important. So just sort of keep that in mind as we, as we move forward. Now, so the big picture in all of this is that when I am looking at this and pouring over this, and one of the most difficult things any pastor has to do is to decide what he's going to cut out and what he's going to say, because there's so much. But I remember, I don't know how far back it was. I, I guess I sort of knew it, but I didn't know what the technical term was. But theologians re re refer to things in the Bible as Bible echoes. And what they mean by that is there are things that are stated in the very early chapters of Scripture, usually in Genesis, that echo throughout the Scriptures, usually concluding in the person of Christ. All right? But there, there's an echo. In other words, we'll see a, a story. And then later on, that same story or something very similar to it is found in another person. But just a little bit more revelation. And then a little bit further on, a little bit more. And it develops until it brings to full fruition in the New Testament. And they call them Bible echoes. And I started thinking as I was reading this chapter, I picked out four echoes that I think are here. But it struck me that that term, Bible echoes, isn't complete. And here's why. When you think of an echo, here's what you think of. Hello, hello, hello. You think of it being very loud at the beginning and then dying out. Bible echoes are exactly the opposite. It's a whisper at the beginning, and it amplifies going throughout. And the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. It is finished! Very loud at the end. Little echoes all the way through. This is one of the most amazing things about Scripture. As, as you look at it, and even if you see the Bible through that particular lens, you'll see these repeated stories over and over and over again, and they intensify as revelation is given. So... The first echo in these first 16 verses is what I'm going to call the echo of revelation. And here's what I mean by the echo of revelation. It is echoed all throughout Scripture that God gives more and more revelation. Revelation is simply what God wants man to know that man could otherwise not know. Where we came from, why we're here, where we're going, science can't tell you, philosophers can't tell you, psychologists, psychiatrists, nobody, no human wisdom can tell you. That's why we have divine revelation. This is the first echo, and here's how it works. When you see that God is giving a divine revelation to a heathen king, we begin to see that throughout Scripture. We begin to see that other places in Scripture, we see the same thing. For example, Daniel, in the book of Daniel. Daniel has to interpret a dream, but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't even know what the dream was. He's got to know what it is and interpret it. So the echo gets a little bit louder as you move throughout the Scriptures. You see that David, King David, is given greater revelation in the Psalms and the things that he writes. You go throughout Scripture and you get to the Gospel of of, of Luke in chapter 24. In Luke 24, we find Jesus somewhat rebuking his followers. He says, Oh, fools and slow of heart to have believed all that was written, all that was echoed about me. It's now loud and clear. How could you not see it? And he opened up their minds to understand the law, the prophets, and the writings. 
the echo finally came to fruition in the person of Christ. When you when these echoes are, are, are laid out, there's this, this never-ending revelation that continues to increase. Now, if you were to take a good hard look at biblical revelation and how it counters the understanding of human thinking, uh, it becomes very profound. For example, the scriptures tell us in Proverbs 3, it says, don't lean on your own understanding. Uh, your, your, your eyes can't tell you everything. Your ears don't lean on your own understanding. You must fear the Lord and follow Him. Listen to what God's understanding is. When you and I listen to all the political you know, talk shows back and forth, I don't care, you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, makes no difference. What you're listening to is lots of noise. You're not hearing lots of wisdom. You're hearing lots of, of a, a tremendous amount of, of knowledge. And you've heard me say this before. Knowledge is nothing more than, than just uh, an increase in information. Wisdom is the proper application of the knowledge. And almost every nation in this world is absolutely addicted to knowledge and allergic to wisdom. Because they think that knowledge is where it resides. Pharaoh has been given this, this revelation, but he doesn't know what it is. He can't figure it out. What is this dream about? And the world is constantly getting information. They just don't know what to do with it because the world lacks wisdom. And this is why God has given us revelation. King David said, I'm a stranger in this world. Don't hide your commandments from me. I can't figure this world out. So over and over again, we begin to see this. So there's always that the increase in knowledge often leads to a decrease in wisdom. And the increase in prosperity often leads to an increase in immorality. It's just the way it works. You just watch it. It's observable, reproducible, and measurable every single day as the world spirals out of control. And you're just listening to lots of noise, but very little wisdom and I realize that if you're in, in, the, in that boat, you can't come before Congress and say, take your Bibles and turn if you would. To, and you can't do that, all right? But you can reflect, if you're a believer, the wisdom of Scripture. And we'll see how this plays out in Joseph's life. The second echo. The second echo is what I'm going to call the echo of illumination. Look at verse 17 is when the, the, the whole... Uh, dream is repeated, okay? Pharaoh giving the dream to Joseph. Let's pick up at the end. Verse 24, it says this. Then the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. That, this, is a rep this is an echo all throughout Scripture of people that understand divine revelation giving it to people that don't, all right? And you look at the world and you wonder why there's such confusion in the world. Verse 25, here's what you read. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed, see that word? Revealed, that's revelation to Pharaoh what is about to happen. The seven good cows and seven, are seven years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean uh, and ugly cows that came up Afterward are seven years, so when the seven worthless um, heads of grain are scorched by the east wind, 
There's seven years of famine. That's what it represents, all right? Verse 28. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of the great abundance are coming throughout the land, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance of the land will not be remembered because the famine that will follow, it will be severe. I want to pause for a moment. Joseph, when he is, when he is standing before Potiphar, when he was in Potiphar's house being sold into slavery, it says the Lord was with him and Potiphar knew it. When Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, he says, how can I do this wickedness against God? When he's in prison and he interprets the, the dreams of the two men in prison, we don't know what's going on. He says, God interprets dreams. Now he's standing before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, I understand you can interpret dreams. Tell me. He goes, nope, I can't. Absolutely not. But God can. He is constantly giving witness to the God that he believes in to a world that doesn't believe in that God. This is an echo. This echoes down as we begin to see more and more revelation and more and more illumination on this. So the echo continues to go. So let's continue to read. We read verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the Spirit of God is? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there are no, there are, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to you and, uh, and your orders. Only with respect to the throne, I will be greater. All right? Now, here's the echo of illumination. The echo of illumination is this, that God has given revelation to a man who is not a believer, which is a total waste of time. He has no concept of how to interpret it, all right? So God has Pharaoh, who now has the revelation, divine revelation, just like the revelation we have right here in the Word, and he tells Joseph what that revelation is, and Joseph interprets it. Why? Because the Spirit of God indwells him. That's illumination. Illumination is the ability to understand divine revelation. Illumination is the ability of a believer that has the Holy Spirit to understand divine revelation. We see this echoed all throughout Scripture. We see, in, or, or David even says, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. He's saying, I can't understand it with my natural mind. You open my eyes, illuminate me to understand the deep things of what you want me to understand. You see that all the way through. Daniel had to have that revelation, everybody all the way through. You get to the Gospel of John, and Jesus says to the, to the Pharisees, you can't understand what I'm saying. You have no idea what I'm saying because you don't belong to my kingdom. You don't have that ability. Then you get to the greatest revelation about illumination found in 1 Corinthians, the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, 
He says, the gospel, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. But it's the power of God into salvation to those who do. But then it isn't until chapter 2 that Paul says this. I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them unto us. Yes, the deep things of God. For how can a man know anything about another man unless the spirit of that man reveals it to him? So no one can know anything about God unless the spirit of God reveals it to them. For the natural man, the pharaohs, the Nebuchadnezzars, the people outside the kingdom, cannot understand the things of God. They are foolishness to them because they must be spiritually understood. That is echoed all the way through, all the way through Scripture. All the way. It is an incredible echo. And it picks up speed. And it picks up... Uh, the, the, the noise level almost, the amplification of it just continues to move until you actually get to the full revelation of Jesus being the ultimate illuminator of all truth. We see, we see so many interesting things here because Joseph, when he gets out of prison, he has absolutely nothing. It says he, he shaved and he put on clothes. The implication is Joseph didn't own anything. He didn't have clothes he didn't have a home. He didn't have money. He didn't have relatives. He didn't have anything when he got out of prison. Pharaoh, on the other hand, has chariots, armies, wives, palaces, money, everything you could possibly imagine. Joseph has absolutely nothing, but in reality has everything. And Pharaoh has absolutely everything, but in reality has nothing. And he says so. The one thing that Pharaoh didn't have that Joseph had was the Spirit of God. Truly, the Spirit of God is in this man. Can we find such a man as this that has this kind of knowledge and wisdom, this discernment and wisdom? Where, where does this man even come from? And so... With that powerful statement, I'm going to read an old tagline to you. The gospel is best communicated where the conviction of those who believe it can be observed by those who don't. That's how the gospel is best communicated. Joseph has maintained an absolute conviction in his life from when he was thrown into slavery, in working in Potiphar's house, thrown into a dungeon, gets out... His conviction is so strong that those outside of the kingdom recognize the power of the gospel in the person that has the revelation and the illumination to understand the revelation. That's what we're called. This is the echo that goes all the way down through the ages. The third echo, we're going to jump down to verse 41. The third echo is the echo of identity. The echo of identity. Look at verses 41 and following. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put gold chain around his neck. By the way, here we go again with another robe. 
something being put on Joseph. Coat of many colors. Now an echo of this. All the times that they use goat skins to cover something. All the way to Jesus having a robe that people were casting lots for. It echoes throughout time. And there are people that study just those things. Fascinating truths all the way through. All right? Verse 43. He had him ride in a chariot, a second command. And men shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Put yourself in this place. 17 years old, now 30 years old. And all of a sudden you were in prison one minute. You're riding chariots the next. You had nothing before. Now you have everything. <clears throat> Verse 44. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, I, um, Joseph said, said to jo Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath Panah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old. All these years away from his family. 13 years away from his family. He entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in, in, in the cities. In each city, he put uh, the, the food grown in fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Now, this idea of identity comes up here. Watch this. Verse 50 is where we find the identity. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's house. Names were often given that actually meant something and that's what his name meant, all right? So we see this name that is, that is given here, and there's an identity to this. Because he has allowed me to forget all that took place. He's not saying, I forgot my father. <laughs> he's, he's saying, I have forgotten all the pain, all of this, in, in this horrible situation that I went through. But here's what's interesting. He has been given an Egyptian name. He's in Egypt. But he gives his two sons Hebrew names. Identity. Identity. He's identifying, he's saying, I'm not an Egyptian. Egypt often represents going down to the world, like Babylon. And he, that's, not, that's, not, that's not my identity. I'm not an Egyptian. I'm a Hebrew. And I'm going to maintain that. I'm going to hold to that. I'm going to name my children that. And so when you, when you look at this and you begin to see this identity, we see this echoed all throughout Abraham, for example, was looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And he's the father of the Hebrews. And so here's, here is Abraham looking down through the court of history and saying, my identity is not this world. I'm looking for the heavenly city. That's what I'm looking for. David said, I'm a stranger in this world. Hide not your commandments from me. Peter said, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You are strangers and sojourners. 
Hebrews says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and confessed the fact that they were strangers and pilgrims in this world. That's identity. Your identity is not an American. That's a nice identity, but it's not the ultimate identity. This world is not our identity. We have another identity. Our identity is ultimately in Christ, and that's what's being echoed all throughout. Somebody put it this way. They say, we are resident aliens. We're from a place, but we live here. We're residents here, but we, we're from another place. Our citizenship is in heaven. As I once said, we're from a place we've never been. But we're going there someday. Let that sink in for a while, all right? So here, here is this. This is being echoed out all throughout the corridors, all throughout. Uh, our identity is ultimately in Christ. The last echo is the echo of affliction or the echo of suffering. Look at verse 40, uh, 52. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. I'm fruitful in the land of my suffering. How is this echoed out? It says in Hebrews 11 that Moses chose affliction to suffer with the children of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He chose affliction. We see all throughout Scripture, those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In this world, you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome this world. It's from one end of the Bible to the other, which is why I so despise the gospel of health and wealth. It ain't here. That's a dream. This world is hard. We don't belong here. And there will be difficult times, as all of us full well know. But it's difficult for everyone, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. But at least a believer understands something about his ultimate hope. Joseph, Joseph in this particular situation, interestingly enough, Joseph now has everything, but realizes he really has nothing because he wants to go home. He wants to get back to the land where he belongs. He's now riding in chariots. He's got money. He's got everything. He's got everybody bowing down to him. And he realizes, I've got everything, but I really don't have anything. And a while ago, he had nothing, but really had everything. These are the paradoxes that are all throughout Scripture, and they, they echo all the way through, all the way through the Scriptures. He's not home. Joseph didn't want to be defined by his affliction and his suffering and his hardship. He wanted to be defined by future hope, and he knew this dream was going to come to pass. That's what he knew. So, with all of that, what do we take away? What do we learn from this text. What is this? What we just look at and realize are nice little echoes. What's so interesting to me is one writer writes, dies, lays down their pen, and another writer over in the Middle East who never knew that writer picks up a pen and continues the echoes. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And the echoes get louder and louder and louder as you go through Scripture. All the way to all the prophetic statements about Christ eventually coming. And then it's, it's ear-shattering. It's so loud. It's so clear. But it starts out as a whisper. So here's what we need to learn. We need to learn that God will do what He's going to do. Look, if you would, 
at the last few verses. We read these verses here. Look at verse 53 and following. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was not food. When all Egypt began, uh, there was food. Where all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy uh, grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in the whole world. And of course, his brothers eventually come to buy grain. Why did God have to give those dreams in twos? It tells us that he, was, he gave them in twos so that you'd be sure to know that he was going to fulfill it. That's why he did it. It's a little bit like, truly, truly, I say unto you, or verily, verily, when you see that, that's sort of a saying, listen up. Listen, Pharaoh. Listen to what Joseph says about this. So here's what we have. We have these echoes all the way down, all the way throughout the Old Testament, all the way through. And generally speaking, these are all found in Christ. And as I was wrapping up my thinking yesterday on this, I, I thought, you know, all four of these echoes are in Christ. And they're all screaming. For example, Revelation. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the divine, eternal Lagos. He is the Word. He is the full revelation of God. That's what he is. And all those echoes point to that. The next one was illumination. Without Christ indwelling me with the power of the Holy Spirit, I cannot understand the deep things of God. So Jesus fulfills the revelation and he fulfills the illumination. But Jesus also fulfills the fact that he is our identity. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave, loved me and gave himself for me. Our identity is in him. Revelation, illumination, identity, all echoed. And then lastly, he is our suffering. He is our suffering servant. That's why he went to the cross. And when it was done, he said, it is finished. The echoes aren't whispering anymore. They're very loud. They're screaming. The gospel is screaming. It's screaming. Through natural revelation, through divine revelation, and the world needs to hear the gospel. But do people see us and say, wow, there is somebody who really lives a life that is consistent with the truth. It says that the butler forgot Joseph for two years. Interesting. He forgot him at just the right time and remembered him two years later at just the right time. Had he remembered him and gotten out and said, Pharaoh, hey, listen, there's a really nice guy in prison. He's the one that interpreted our dream. A great guy. Could you let him out? Yeah, get, get, get him out of here. And, and Joseph just disappears. And now Pharaoh, two years later, has the dream. Who's going to interpret it? And then the butler says, I remember. I forgot, 
But now I remember. I forgot it exactly the right time in the providence of God, and I remembered exactly the right time in the providence of God. So when we're going through a lot of different things, it don't make a whole lot of sense. We always have to go back to, to accounts like this and say, what's, what's going on here? Joseph was jerked around more than any person in Scripture that I can think of. I can't think of anybody that had more highs and lows instantly. I mean, just boom, boom. And we feel like many times we're being jerked around in life. We, we just, all kinds of things. I mean, here he is, his father's favorite son, coat of many colors, everything is going great. Next thing you know, his brothers hate him just out of nowhere. They're going to throw him into a pit, and he's going to die. And then one of them says, no, let him live. Oh, let's sell him into slavery. He goes into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. Hey, things are great again. His wife wants to seduce him. Lies, says he tried to rape her. Things are bad again. He goes back into jail, but he's put in charge of the jail. Everything's looking great again. But then the butler forgets him. Everything's bad again. It's just all over the place. I'm surprised the guy doesn't have whiplash, you know, just spiritual whiplash from this. But he remained faithful all the way through. And these are identifying factors as we look, even at the way Jesus was treated. We see all of these things. Where is our identity? Is our identity in our culture, our money, our finances? What's it in? It's in the person of Christ. We're simply passing through this life. Do people see the Spirit of God in us? Truly the Spirit of God indwells this man. Where does that come from? How do they see that? They see it by watching a life and by observing wisdom that the world doesn't have. Without standing up and telling your boss or anything, you don't have to, you do not have to get up and quote scripture or talk about Jesus at the office. You don't have to do that when you're sitting in as a congressman or senator or whatever. If you're a believer, you just let wisdom speak. You let wisdom speak. Not noise. Not just not, no, wisdom. You take, you take the knowledge that the world adores and you apply it to wisdom. And things change. And that's what Pharaoh saw in him. And you see that all the way through. Because the same thing was said of Daniel. Of all the powers around Daniel. Truly an excellent spirit is in this man. People saying that about us today? It should be. All of this is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, and I said at the very beginning, you may not be a believer, but I have to suspect that maybe you've never known how this book was ever put together. All these amazing echoes that go all the way down to the quarter of history. They're true. They're true. And the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to try to get into the kingdom. God doesn't see anything in you that's of inherent value to him. But when we realize our need for a Savior, that we're lost, that we're separated from God, that we're not holy, that we've sinned before a holy God and thus separated. And at the moment that we put our faith in Christ and believe that He died and was buried and rose again, no longer trusting in our human goodness, but Christ and Christ alone, we are declared to be holy. We are sanctified. We're declared to be right, righteous. Now we're to live that life out. That's the good news of the gospel. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't, but today it's screaming. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. Oh Lord, should there be one, five, ten, fifteen that are here today that do not know you, that today would be the day that they would come to the recognition of their 
desperate need for Christ as the only one who can possibly save them and give them everlasting life. And now, Lord, I would pray for all of us that are believers, that people around us see us exercising wisdom or just knowledge. Do we join in the fray and the mess, or do we come in and people look at us and say, truly the Spirit of God indwells that woman, that man. That's what people need to see, and it lends a platform for the gospel to go forward. So, Father, bless our day. Encourage our hearts, and we pray now that this last uh, number would be uh, edifying, uh, Lord, and bless you, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.